CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about this show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag leadership. So today, the topic is developing social intelligence in managers. And our guests for today's show are Jim Smith, who's the CIO with the Office of Information Technology, State of Maine. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, good morning. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Great. And we have Jonathan Rackenthal, who is the CIO with City of uh, Palo Alto, California. Hi, Jonathan. How are things? Hey, Sanjo. Great to be back. I'm, I'm doing terrific. Thanks. Great, great. Now, you both of you are leaders, and of course, as leaders, you are expected to do the right things, and managers are expected to do things right. So basically, they have to get things done in the first place. And with that expectation from managers, are we actually setting them up for failure? Uh, Will they be focused on just the process and outcome versus people who work with them and not come across as aliens? So what about that interpersonal relationships with their team? Uh, Do we expect these managers to acquire the social intelligence skills on their own, or is there a hope for them because they do not know what they may be doing wrong? That's what the scope of today's conversation is. And in order to get started, Jim, I'll start with you. We talk about... Uh, you know, a great organization is someone where it's like a big family. People are enjoying the mutual support. There is a team play, camaraderie, and, and people are motivated to get things done together. Do you think that happens organically, or is there a deliberate attempt that we have to make um, to, to have that feeling among each individual in the team? Yeah, I think that uh, thank you for the question and thank you for the topic. It's such an interesting topic and so so timely. Um, I think that the answer is two-part, like so many answers. I think that, uh, you know, part of that is organic, but I think that we as as <clears throat> heads of organizations have to set that foundation, you know, that old term of uh, priming the pump. We have to be able to, to set the vision, to find the people with the energy, um, to to build this organ to build an organization, I think one uh, part of that starts with hiring the right people. You've got to find the right people that you know have the social intelligence, the skills we need, the the teamwork, all those type of things. We'll probably get into in the in the conversation here, but I really believe you've got to find the right people, and then you, as a leader or of an organization, have to help set that foundation, set set the infrastructure, set the environment so that people can work together, gives people opportunity to break down those silos and find the right teams. And I think that. If you set out that vision, I think people put a lot of energy around that vision. That's a great response. And as a leader, that's what you're expected to do, Jim, of course, is where you would lay out the vision and, of course, impact the culture so people individually are motivated to go about doing the best they can. Now, coming to you, Jonathan, when we have this great vision and we are sleeping well at night, but there could be a manager who may have a pressure which they may have inflicted upon themselves or somewhere in the planning, 
where they were expected to do something, a whole lot of things with almost nothing in terms of resources, or there is some deadline that is imposed, which is first you put a deadline and then you started planning. It's not unheard of. When you have such pressures, that person might crumble, might start becoming more anxious, more curious, and also maybe more alien to the team because his only way uh, he's going to be able to get this done is to get it done at any cost and keep the people, personalities, and those other aspects aside. And that starts the, the negative uh, environment. And you may be at the top sitting there trying to create a positive culture, and then there you go, the managers are spoiling it. How much of that is true? Uh, I think, think there's, there's a lot of truth to that, and, and it has a lot to do with um, how you're collaborating with your managers to get things done. I'm, I'm going to build on Jim's sort of introduction there, which is as a leader, you're, you're, you're trying to inspire, you're trying to create a, a vision and uh, a pathway for your organization to, to sort of uh, march to, to a place where everybody gets success. And so in, in that type of environment, there's, there's sort of two ways you can go about that. One is to sort of give orders. It's just say, go do that by this time. Um, the other method, which is, quite, which is much more contemporary and, and evidence shows you get better results, is to, is to, to get buy-in from your managers. Um, so your managers aren't just doing work just to sort of satisfy a, a, a goal or check a box, but they're doing it because uh, they believe in it as much or as much as possible as you do. And so, um, you know, the, the position that I would propose to, to leaders uh, would be um, you, you think about that as you begin to roll out a new initiative or, or, or start down a p- particular path is um, uh, to what extent are your managers actually bought into it, believe in it, and are passionate about it? Because that trickles down. And, and, and if they're doing it because they want to and they believe in it, I think their behavior and the evidence shows their behavior will be different from those that are just told, just do it. You know, uh, that's a kind of an old world, and, and the new world is more about cooperation and collaboration and belief in what you're doing. You know, we had a discussion about creating a vision that automatically sells itself and is embraced and people follow it. Definitely what you mentioned is a great part where the, the managers have to be bought in in order for this to even take shape. Now, when comes the execution, because as part of the vision setting, we did not deal with the nitty-gritties of how the execution is going to happen. So when they start looking at the deadlines and, and other things, that passion might still be there, but many times it gets overcome by the pressure and the stress and the crisis management that they have to go through on day-to-day because of the way it is getting executed. So, Jim, when we look at uh, a disconnect between a, a rosy, cool vision to a, a harsh reality of execution, how can we maintain um, a synchronous relationship or, or, or more, more aligned relationship between vision and execution in order for this to not happen? I mean, that's a great question, and we're in the midst of that now. We're uh, here at the State of Maine. We've uh, introduced a couple of new things, some transformational things where we think will help us move into the future. One is we're embracing agile methodology, and the other thing is we're doing a lot with business process management to bring efficiency to our operations. But those are new things, right? This is a new way of thinking. This is a new way of working together, both with the, among our own IT organization and our, our business partners. And so, 
you know, your, your question is exactly right because it's, you know, it's almost a roadmap of what we've done. We've went out and, you know, we built some excitement around that. We found the, the people that are really energized about that, the visionaries, the ones who really want to go out and do the pilots. And, and we've done all that and we've proven what we needed to prove. Now we have to do the sort of heavy lifting, which is transform that sort of pilot mentality into, you know, normal day-to-day execution. And, uh, you know, that is the tricky part. That is much more work. You have to get many more people, you know, buying into that vision, understanding the vision. And I don't know a way to do it other than just the hard work of, you know, the old rule about communicate, communicate, communicate. And I think that's that's what we have to do. And we have to, you know, you've got those visionaries, you've got those leaders on your team that are going to lead that charge. And what I like to do, what I try very hard to do, is not just always tap into the same people, the senior management team. I want to find different people in the ranks of the business and, and in the uh, in our IT organization to that really embrace that, that because then they become the apostles. They go out and sell that vision. But you're exactly right. Now it comes to hard lifting. The pilot stuff is kind of the fun stuff. And now you say, okay, now how do I institutionalize this? So the launch party is over, Jonathan, and now you got to have these managers still maintain that alignment to the vision, and also you would love for them to have those interpersonal skills where they're not using their position of power. Instead, a way where where they motivate people and or create a plan in such a way so the team members are not struggling, and these individuals are not having that spiraling down pressure, which is going to make them an alien to their team members. How does that happen? How do you, how do you make such a thing happen? Well, the first thing to, to recognize really straight off in this topic is that social intelligence skills are typically learned, right? We, we have a lot of stuff that we bring to work that is inherent, you know, our, our ability to, to learn, uh, our passion. Uh, but social intelligence actually is a, is a learned skill. And, you know, it, it, when you look at sort of the curriculum of uh, whether university degrees or, uh, you know, uh, professional um, certifications, we're typically not seeing this topic. And, and, and so, you know, that there's room for improvement there. Um, we're, we're typically not even seeing it as part of organizational uh, focus areas when you think about, you know, professional development for, for, for organizations. So, um, to answer your question, you, you know, if, if you're expecting amazing results without putting in the effort in or without the training, um, you know, you're, you're probably expecting the impossible or, or you have high expectations that won't be met. Um, so you, you have to introduce some of these skills. Um, you have to identify the, the people on your team who are uh, likely to be the most challenged by, um, by, by the, the pressures put upon them. Um, you know, find out really quickly, and, and we all know who they are. Find out who your managers are, who uh, are coming across as aliens, as you put it, to to their staff and their teams. You, you spend some time with those people. Um, you know, are they listening? You know, if, if we were to take the first attribute of social intelligence, you know, do they listen? Do they listen to you? Do they listen to their customers? Do they listen to their team? And and I think part of the way I'd like to think about answering this question is. Um, you're going to get better results when you have the skills in place. You're going to get better results when you've identified uh, the potential weaknesses. And, and um, you know, pe- people will respond. For, at first, they, they will find feedback hard. You know, if you tell them, you know, your, 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 your team are, getting, are, are not uh, being successful because they're not um, relating to you or, um, you know, they say you don't listen, um, that's hard feedback to take. But over time, I think people appreciate the, 
the, the honesty, actually. And, and um, I mean, that's you as a leader using your social intelligence to convey authenticity, truth, and clarity in, in sending that message. Um, so I, I'd start with, you know, kind of summarize, identify those, those weaknesses in those managers, develop those social intelligence skills as, as real skills, and then, and then let's, let's see and measure the, the trickle-down effect, which I, think, which I think will be apparent. And, you know, if I could just add something to Jonathan's point there, which I think is exactly right about the, the learning aspect of this. We work a lot with the universities here in the state, and, you know, different companies come in. We meet with the universities to help design the curriculum and th- things like that. And I remember a CIO from one of the businesses, a very technical business, said to the university people, he said, don't give me any cellar dwellers. And what he was saying, he said, you know, we need the social skills also. And, and as we got, it was interesting. As we got into the conversation with the university, they weren't emphasizing teamwork. People, the students weren't doing projects together. And we said, but that's all they do when they walk into our our organizations. It's all teamwork. It's all working with other people. So we, you know, right there, we said, no, you've got to be setting this foundation for us. You've got to make sure that they're doing what they're going to end up doing when they come into the organization. When in both of these cases, the, the way you, Jonathan, responded and Jim, now imagine you are trying to get someone who has the right skills or perhaps they have acquired it or this is like a nature thing for them, but then people behave differently under pressure. So is that training as well to say you are a great guy, uh, you know, John Smith, but when it comes to a pressure, which will be there as part of it. So, yes, you can, you can go back as a leader and say, okay, I'm going to remove the pressure. I'll not have a deadline, which is that pressing. Then would you behave well? So you could take that responsibility. But if there is a pressing deadline and the person turned from an angel to an alien, what do you do about that? Jonathan. That happens all the time. It, it happens all the time. Um, one of the things that I've discovered in, in my work over 25 years is it, it's, it's important to know the full person. Um, you, when people come to work every day, uh, you, you see a part of them. You see the work that they deliver, the, the work product they uh, produce. Um, but they're also a full person. They also have families or you know, troubles. They have perhaps health um, items they're dealing with. Um, and, and it is important to clearly respect privacy. I'll, of course, I'll say that up front. Um, but, uh, you know, understand the full person. Are they going through a tough time in their life where you, you know, if you put unreasonable pressure on this person, they're going to flip from being the normal, patient, positive, you know, successful person into being the alien. You know, you know this is hard stuff. And, and uh, so, so I think knowing the person, knowing the context of the work is real important. Um, I think sort of if you think about the social intelligence skill of the leader in this case, observing um, the team and then, and then suddenly seeing that a, a manager has flipped, is like, wow, they're, they're, they're behaving somewhat differently. Um, now I think you, you're using your intelligence skills to, to observe um, and, and interpret this as there's something different, there's something wrong here, um, the person is not uh, who they normally are, or... They're responding to some stimulus. They're, they're frustrated by a vendor. They're frustrated by the quality of code. Um, and so you've got to extract them out of that meeting afterwards and say, you know, I want to help you here. Um, you're, you're going to see managers, you know, flip. There, there are probably good occasions um, if, if you've got to a point where, where a manager in a particular context is not going to succeed. And, and they should be 
potentially move to, to, to different work for the, dra- for the remainder of that particular project. Um, I mean, you've got to sometimes take tough, um, make tough decisions to get good results. Um, uh, you know, in this in sort of our 21st century, 24-hour sort of work cycle, you know, of workable moments and uh, always on, um, you know, this is hard. And, and um, you know, there are pressures. Uh, you know, 21st century information work um, is stressful and, and, um, and nuanced. So uh, uh, part of it is you're going to have to use real key skills, but you're, part of it is we're going to have to sort of step up to, into it and, 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 uh, and, and say we're, 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 good. we're good with this. We're, we're good with this world, or I need to take an alternate path. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Jim, when we come back, let's talk about this as a family. Let's draw a parallel. When we have a family and where perhaps the leader is, is more of an extended family, the main family is the team members and the managers, they are one unit. And if a pressure is on the family, the whole family takes that on, or perhaps the leader does with support from the family members. How can we create such a camaraderie where we are not just trying to do it for the sake of the job, but we really think like a family and make sure that that particular feeling takes us through the tough times and the pressure when it is there, we just figure it out among ourselves. But that, all of that will actually relieve the manager from, that, uh, from being a Hercules handling all of it on, on by themselves, at the same time gives them the kudos that they were able to get the job done by the management. So coming back to creating those work units as families have them think like one. How do you make that magic happen? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So if you want a family, uh, we need to have them bond like a family. Then we have to 
have everyone think like one. So, so Jim, when you look at your execution teams, if you will, sitting outside, you're not part of the family, you're an extended family perhaps, but is that unit thinking like it or at the time of execution we become the same, the aliens and, and the people who are suffering because of the alien? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the family analogy, of course, is exactly right because, you know, as, as Jonathan mentioned before, we spend so much time at work or thinking about work, you know, the 7 by 24. I know one time last summer I, I sent an email out. I was up early on a Saturday morning, and I sent an email about something to to five people at uh, 6 o'clock Saturday a.m., and, and four people had responded immediately, and I thought, wow. Shouldn't they have lives? But I mean, it was, it was just amazing to me that people are just online. They're thinking about, they're either at work or they're online thinking about work. So that whole family aspect is so important to that. And I think that, you know, it goes back to that setting the foundation. One of the things that's been successful for us as we move to agile and create scrum teams and things like that is those become families unto themselves, right? Small units, five or six people, cross-discipline, multiple uh, areas represented that, and then you know you have things like a scrum master that's there to remove the barriers and stuff. But that really, you get some bonding in those teams. They really say, "Oh, here's our goal, and we're in this together." And they they look to each other to sort of, you know, build success and get to the right position. And I think you know, as we as leaders, we look at these type of things, and you know, there's some learning here for me too, and there's some evolution I have to have because, you know, you get the concept of self-defining teams, and these teams are gonna you know, uh, work work themselves to get to the to efficiency and continue, continuous improvement, continue to be more efficient. And, you know, I certainly come from that, you know, older generation of, you know, sort of command and control. Can I see it? Can I, can I be in control of it? That type of thing. And I have to sort of let that go and understand that, no, they're going to build the right thing. And this, this I think, just leads right back to, to family units and saying, well, if there's an issue within this this unit, we're going to take care of it. This is our team, and we're going to take care of it. We're going to be the most effective and efficient we can. And I think that that byproduct leads to that sort of sharing of vision and the energy and the excitement. And plus, you know, people really do remarkable things when you give them the opportunity to. And I think this is part of that, giving them the opportunity. So as, as Jonathan and I and others sort of set the vision of, well, this is where we want to be in a year, or this is what we want to solve in two years, it's so important for those teams to be able to come up, come up and be part of that solution and part of the approach. You know, no one learns how to, you know, build these skills at a seminar, and there's another saying about parenting is you don't prepare the road for the kids, you prepare the kid for the roads. So when you look at these moments, Jonathan, where people are under stress, maybe that's the time when they are more likely to learn and their weakest moments or the moments of stress could very well become the defining moments which could propel them forward and, and kind of bring them close to what they are capable of becoming. Do you think that can be utilized this, these, these instances where they are under pressure can be utilized for some live training, and you're not kind of faking these or you're not uh, creating these moments. When they happen, you jump on it as an opportunity versus somebody screwing up. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're suggesting sort of trial by fire, um, which, which certainly has its uh, merits. I, I'm not sure that that's the time when you want to be tackling some core issues, you know, when, when you have a crisis. Um, I, I do think I will agree with you that uh, when, 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 a, when a system goes down and it's sort of all hands on deck, you see the best of people. I mean, you definitely see a little bit of the worst, 
But that's when people really step up. You know, uh, who, who is not panicking? Who is uh, taking control? Who's getting stuff done? And then, you know, you fix the problem. And then later on, the, the team is, is tighter and, and more cohesive in terms of, of, uh, of, the, of the mission after that. And so I've always said that, you know, you, you, it's crisis that defines the qualities of a team, not when things are just comfortable and you have a, just a normal day. Um, that said, you know, that is, that, that, that is a wonderful outcome of, of, a, of a crisis, and, and certainly you can, you can use it to, to learn, you know, what did we learn through that process? I would, though, argue, I'd sort of push back and say um, doing the hard work of building social intelligence skills should be done now when things are calm. You know, working with your team to develop um, those listening skills um, that, that, we, uh, that we spoke about um, earlier, um, you know, understanding how you come across to people in your nonverbal cues. Um, you know, th- these are things that have to be learned and, and, and an- analyzed. So, you know, I'd use the downtime or that sort of quieter time to, to ensure that you're, you've identified the weaknesses across your team and, 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 and start to build um, the, those skill sets. Jim, when you look at a situation where uh, someone is in their true form, which is not when they're being taught how to be socially better, when they actually behave, isn't that the time for you to find them as the, the, the real uh, self, and that's the time when they're building the relationship with the other people. Do you think we should hold their seats as they're learning how to ride the bicycle right at that time? Well, I think I'd, I'd you know, harken back a little bit to what Jonathan has said. There's a, you know, a time and a place, if you can do that you know, ahead of time and understand people's skills and where they go under stress and things like that, I think that is, that is so, so important. Obviously, if you're in the middle of a crisis, it's, you're not going to have the opportunity, I think, to do a lot of course correction. You're going to have to understand who, who uh, you know, who's on your team, who the players are, how they interact, and if it's in the middle of a crisis and you have someone that's uh, not able to pull their weight and stuff, you're going to have to course correct right then. Probably not, uh, it's probably not a lear- learning experience in the middle of that. Um, um, I, I would harken back to Jonathan and just say, yeah, you've got to set that foundation early. You've got to give these teams a chance to work together, to gel together, which is, you know, such a, such a great uh, opportunity when you have when you do have the opportunity to do pilots and to have people go out and try different things and learn different things and stuff. But it's so important, I think, to do that early, get those teams together, get that socialized aspect going, and to understand who's on your team and understand that, uh what they bring to the table, we did it in my last company. They did uh, every person in IT took uh, was handed the book. I think it was what's the name of the book. I'll just look here. Uh, now discover your strengths by I think it's Buckingham. And you know this is a thing where you you know you sort of read and, and it really plays to what do you bring to the table? What are your skill sets? What do you if you're you know if you're really a strategic person or a, a person that gets things done or a person with empathy how do you understand that how does that play into the whole team dynamics and the interesting thing about that so i think there were i don't know 800 people in the it organization something like that and you you read the book and you take this test and it's not like a myers-briggs test it's more on, on attributes and and it really helps you understand a little bit about who you are and who your uh, your team players are and it was interesting after people had done it and taken the test and stuff, and they would talk about it for a long, long time. People would actually put up their strengths on their cubicle wall, like it would come with top five steps strengths, and people would say, 
no, this is really who I am. This is how I can help contribute. And we even took it so far as uh, we didn't really expect this, but we had we needed a particular person to do something. And we went back and looked at some of the strengths and realized, oh, this person has that attribute. Let's bring them to the forefront. And we never thought about that before. But just seeing that and writing, just that idea of thinking about the social aspect of what do people do, what are their skill sets, how, what do they bring to the table. When I was at my last company, we, we did this study for a year or two, looking at technical resources, and we said, as new employees come in, some you know sort of rise to the top and become superstars. And we said, why does that happen? Why do certain people just sort of jump ahead? And, you know, the conclusion we came to is just exactly what we're talking about today. It wasn't technical skills. It really wasn't. People can learn that stuff. People can find the answers. It was all of the social skills. And we took a long time coming up with about 15 attributes, and they weren't technical attributes that we wanted to find in future hires. And there were things like, you know, develop self and teamwork and critical business skills and all, all those things you normally think of, but most of the stuff, positive attitude and energy, um, willing to step outside a comfort zone, strong team player, most of these things were not technical skills. These were team skills. This is how we get projects done today. And, you know, I was looking at one of them this morning, I was thinking about this, and it's values-driven. And the sub-description kind of caught my attention because of this discussion. It said, interacts with others in a way that gives them confidence in one's intentions and those of the organization. So once we sort of built those attributes, we started probing for that and started trying to hire those people that would display those type of skills. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about uh, the, the normal happening where the leaders are the ones who paint the vision and get the kudos and, and everything else happens which will glorify a leader. At the same time, we see many people leaving their jobs because they did not like the manager. So is the position giving managers that pressure or those adverse circumstances which brings the worst out of them and the leaders by the time they become leaders somehow have that cushion where they can really blossom what is happening with that position is the position not properly defined are the expectations not properly set in the minds of the managers or the minds of the other people who are uh, who these guys are reporting to so so where's this stemming from why is manager an alien and why a leader a hero for the most part. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. 
transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Jonathan, how about looking at a manager's reputation of being an alien, whereas a leader becomes a hero. What is different? What are we expecting different from a manager which keeps taking him to that rough spot? Yeah, you know, that's something you've got to be um, very conscious of as a, as, a, as a leader as you, as you work with your managers. There are some people who are not well positioned to succeed, um, despite your best efforts, you know I think there's there's a sort of a humility in sort of just conceding that you know there's probably either a different organization or a different role that will be will be better for that person this, you know despite your your best efforts so at some point don't you know you've got to you've got to just sort of call it as it is and and move on um, you know we, we, if it is a case of the person's not being um, is repeating a behavior that is alienating their teams, is, is not um, um, creating the best impression of their abilities, and they're not just getting results. You know, as a leader, you, 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 you have to intervene. Um, you know, I, I, if I think of the people I've worked with over the last few years that, um, that have gone from a, from, a, from a place of weakness to a place of strength, there, there has been two avenues. You know, I, I think about a group of people who are no longer with 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 my organization, um, and they chose. They ultimately chose to move on um, because, uh, in in the candid, honest conversations we were having, we really resolved the fact that you know you, you may not be um, in in the position where you can succeed. And and the best thing we can do working together is is to find out what that is that you will succeed in, um, you know, and, and build the skills to to have that success. The other group of people. Are the ones where they just weren't aware that they're uh, okay. We fixed the technical skills, fine, but we worked on their social intelligence skills, the ability to really hear what the customer is asking for, really hear the grievances of your team, um, you know, hear about the fact that you you know you you uh, are, are are demanding or you, you never compliment your team on their successes, and and that person being open to um, to, to, to changing those behaviors, and as, as, I, as we were, as Jim and I have been saying earlier in the conversation, what, often when a person has just told it, you know, when they're made aware of this, um, they're, they're able to, to change the behavior. Um, so, you know, I think in summary, there's effort you can make, and, and you know, as leaders, we ought to be very focused on turnaround situations. But I also think we have to be candid and realize when it's not going to happen. And and uh, and work hard around that too, so that the individual is in a place where they can be happy and succeed. 
Jim, would you say is it is too late for a manager when they become a manager to then start acquiring social skills because they could be learning on the job but also causing a lot more damage to those people's morale and, and, and no one who's working for that manager would take that for an excuse that we have an apprentice who's managing us who, who is kind of going through this journey of learning social skills. Isn't that too late though? You know that's that's an excellent question. It's a, it's a tricky question, and you know whether it's too late or not. You know it goes back to us as leaders making sure we're putting the right people in those management slots. I mean, you know, the, and the, on the technical side, you, you so often hear that uh, sort of complaint or concern that oh, we've promoted someone because of their technical skills. It doesn't make them a good manager, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So we have to. You know, understand how do you find the right people in the first place? How do you find people not only that show the the leadership skills, but show the empathy when necessary and and, and understanding, you know, who's working for them, who their business partners are, how to get something done. And I think your, uh, I think the premise of your question is exactly right. That someone in the the wrong person can do a lot of damage. And I think uh, you know Jonathan's comments about this before are exactly right. I think you have to honestly self honestly assess that. And understand that if the the team is underperforming, and part of that is responsible, part of that um, goes back to the manager. I think you have to deal with that. I think we as leaders have to deal with that. We have to be able to recognize it. We have to be able to institute some corrective actions and say, you know, with a little coaching, with a little help, is this the right person? Can we make this work? And if, the, if it isn't the right person, I think we have to be willing to make the tough decision and, and understand that, uh, you know, sometimes you have to go in a different direction. So I, I think this is tricky stuff. I think that, uh, you know, I think the wrong manager can really hurt the performance of a team, and I think it's our obligation to be able to recognize that and take cre- correct, corrective action when necessary. And I think and John alluded to this with the people leaving. He said, you know, you're going to make someone happier. If they're in a position that's not working for them and you find a position that is, everyone's going to end up in a better place, I think. Do you think, uh, Jonathan, it is, uh, it is possible for someone to keep everyone happy? Because that's also given as one of the reasons why a manager may not always try to be uh, the greatest guy on planet as part of getting the projects done because they feel or they have submitted to the fact, or what, at least what they call as fact, is you cannot keep everyone happy all the time. There's, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I learned that early in my career. Um, you know, there is a sort of inherent uh, desire from, from leaders and managers to, to sort of be in the happiness business. And, and there, there is a time and a place for that, uh, but, but trying to sort of work to that high um, goal all the time won't, won't work. It, it's, not, uh, it's not, by the way, our ultimate goal. Uh, uh, happiness will be derived when people have meaningful work, they get good challenges, they're, they're given the authority to, to make decisions, um, you know, they are uh, given the skills and the training opportunities. Those are the things that, that make people ultimately happy. So if you focus on those underlying qualities, um, hopefully you'll get that, uh, that happiness uh, uh, derivative. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I learned in my career not to, to make that the, the, uh, the absolute priority. I, I will say this, though, you know, it, it, it's been interesting to me in my career 
when em- employees have come to me and sort of given positive feedback to me around things that I've done the right way, you know, at the time of when I gave um, uh, uh, hard feedback, when, when it felt hard and, you know, I knew the person could be upset or, or they would take it. At the time when we did it, it was, it was hard and, and, and people, you can see that people were upset and maybe they were defensive. But interestingly, one week, two weeks later when they came back, they said um, they would, when people are being honest and, 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 and you have a good um, a culture of openness, when a person comes back and they say, you know, I'm really glad you actually gave me that strong feedback. It's helped me. Um, you know, I, I've been surprised that, you know, they, they were able to recognize and, and, and um, give me comfort in that I did the right thing. Um, so, uh, you know, the, one of the qualities of social intelligence is uh, authenticity. And, you know, it sometimes feels like when we're at work, we're acting. You know, I don't know if you, if you feel that way or you can observe that. We're, we're kind of acting. And, and to Jim's point about qualities of people who get ahead while others don't get ahead, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in that list of 15 qualities, authenticity wasn't one of the, one of the dominant characteristics. Um, uh, that I've seen in the literature, and I've seen it in the workplace. Those people who, when, when it was right to be honest, they were honest, even though there was a cost, because later on it paid dividends. See, you speak about honesty. How about adding immunity? Because you had someone come to you and gave you positive feedback. How many times would they have come to you and said that, hey, you were behaving like an alien? My spouse would tell me that, but perhaps my team member won't. <laughs> well, you no, know, that, that's, that's important. I mean, you, you, as a leader, you've, have you created that open environment, that, that, that safe environment that people can, can provide it to you? If the first time somebody comes to you and gives you some sort of feedback, no matter what it is, and you, you shut it down, you're probably shutting it down for good. It's very hard to open that up again. So you make, you make a really vital point there. Um, you know, your managers, your, everybody actually has to be creating uh, through their social intelligence skills the ability for, um, for there to be um, a safe environment for, for feedback and, and quality communication. See, the feedback, constructive feedback, usually flows top-down and praises flow bottom-up in terms of frequency. Or in, and, and constructive feedback, for the most part, does not flow upwards at all. That's hurting an organization. And frankly, if I tell somebody who reports to me about what they're not doing right, the, the, the guards go up. And, of course, because my boss is telling me so. But if somebody from my team tells me, suppose as a family, if my daughter or son tell me something that, Dad, you're not doing something right, it's going to make me think. But if we don't give that environment in, an, in any organization, and that's not happening because of fear or whatever, then truly the feedback it sh- which should have come in, in all honesty and authenticity with Jonathan you mentioned is not coming. So would you say in your organization you could create a culture of authenticity where you will allow your manager to be in a way reporting to your, uh, you know, the lowermost employee in a way reversing the pyramid, if you will? Would that solve this problem? Well, let me quickly answer that, and perhaps Jim would like to jump in as well. Um, you know, I, 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 there's, a, there's a sort of a management leader, author. His name is Stan Slap. He's out of San Francisco. I, I got to spend a bit of time with him a while back. He's written a couple of books on, on sort of employee morale and this kind of area. And one of the things that he, he makes really, really clear is 
um, and, and to your point, uh, Sanjog, around you know feedback up to you as a leader, you you never get real feedback. Uh, and and he, he uses the, the the funny sort of you know the the, the image of you, you could take one of your you know managers or employees and you could you know uh, uh, just you probably get them by their 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 shirt grab them by their shirt and say please tell me what you think please please and and they won't actually tell you um, so this is you know just an acknowledgement that um, you, you know you you would have to have a highly um, Functional organization, function at a very high level, which is so rare to be getting clear, honest, upward feedback. So, in the in the absence of that, um, how do you get feedback? And I think part of it is you got to be really laser focused on other types of cues. You know, um, are people coming to your office? You know, are um, are, are you know are people um, uh, being uh, being successful in your team? Are people aligning with your vision? There's other ways to tell that. There's other non sort of up, you know, in your face feedback that tells you the feedback about your performance. And I think that's <laughs> it's hard, but it, but I think uh, that that's what you're going to have to look to. Um, I, I mean, what do you what do you think, Jim, about that? I agree. You're exactly right. And you know, it's kind of an odd question, obviously, to to, to say to one someone leading an organization, "Do you have an open organization? Can people provide feedback?" Well, of course, we all think we do. But, you know, maybe that's not true. And, I, you know, it goes back to sort of your thought of what's the other, what are the other clues you can see? What are, the, what are the things you can probe on? A lot of people leaving, do you have an attrition problem? And is that attrition pro- problem tied back to, to something yeah. beyond, you know, is it uh, monetary or things like that? I think you're exactly right. You have to find ways to open the organization. I think we, we think we do. I don't know if we, we all do. I look to my managers and, you know, the skip level meetings and things like that. Other organizations should on, you know, 360 feedback and, you know, those are always kind of a pain. You've got to sit down and write comments about people and stuff. But, you know, you look at those overall trends and say, well, gee, is there an area I should be working on? You know, I'm doing this really well, but, you know, people are looking for me to do leadership in this area. So I think it's a complicated question, but obviously it's it's something you've got to get right. If you really want to get to that that strong, high-performing teams and a high-performing organization, you've got to understand what's what's driving people, but what's constraining people. What are the things that you may be doing without even realizing it that really are, are not getting to people. I mean, no matter how much you communicate and stuff, there are some people always, you know, sort of feel, I didn't quite get that. I didn't get the message. So how do we understand where that is, when that is, and and what do we do about it? Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about multi-generational, multicultural, and a globally distributed workforce that we have today. And we know the newer generations express themselves much more than we used to, at least I used to. Uh, being a Gen Xer, and and how's that changing the way we create managers who have great social intelligence and also develop them into leaders when they do become leaders into a full-blown um, Hercules and or a Pied Piper who everybody follows because that's they, they are in the making they're leaders in the making so we don't have to think about a manager as a manager at that point you're developing them into someone. What will happen in due course and what skills and competencies and mindset will we have to create for these managers to be able to deal in this new world? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Jog All. Welcome back. So, Jim... Look at the different generations that coexist today. Look at the different cultures, we being a melting pot, and I'm not just talking United States, globally. And then you have people not working, sitting in the same room, and by more and more companies are just literally paying the employees to go and work from their respective homes. What's that going to do to a manager's ability to get things done and also to their social intelligence? Yeah, thank you, Sandra. We we think about this a lot. I, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, in, on my staff uh, someone who is a, a director of workforce development, and this is sort of her job. Think about, you know, where's the workforce going? How do we find the new workforce? How do we recruit, et cetera? And, you know, we have a challenge here. The state of Maine, we have about 24% of our IT workforce going to retire in the next two years, and no, three years. And, you know, when you get that kind of number, that's really transformational. You really have to think about things differently. So we get this... This older generation is going to retire, and the newer generation is coming in, and they're going to take these jobs. But what will those jobs be, and what will they, what will their responsibilities be, and will they do them the same way? And so we have to think about this multiple, multiple generations existing in the workforce at the same time, with maybe different needs and different wants and different desires. And and how do we how do we deal with that? And I, you know, I think about the evolution because uh, you know we were talking a minute there in the break how things have changed. But I think when I uh, was back going to college. I did a part-time work study, excuse me, a part-time job in my father's office. He was an insurance guy, and he had about 200 people there, underwriters and clerical staff. And it's interesting, the office was set up so that his office was in the back, and he could look over his whole staff, and the whole 200 people faced forward, right? So that whole command command Mm -hmm. and control and just understanding what everyone was doing, and there was a bell to come to work, there was a bell to take a break, there was a bell to go home, and now you think about how projects get done, where I can be on a conference call with people from all over the world, all different skill sets, bringing all different things, and it's, it doesn't matter where anyone is anymore, right? You're telecommuting, those type of things. 
we don't think in those ways anymore. And that younger generation, the new generations coming in, they're used to working like that. And as people say, they're used to working all different hours. You, you know, we all have the emails we get. We say, geez, somebody sent me this email at 2 in the morning. You know, we all get those type of things. And we say, there's a new generation coming in. And how do we think about that? And part of that, a big part of that is the, the topic today. How do you use those social skills to make sure that People are working together as teams because they may not be f- beside each other every day. They may not be going to lunch. They may be distance teams that have to find the right skills and attributes to work together. Very, very important. It's very important that we as, as leaders put that round, right foundation in place so that people can be successful in this new world that we've built. Sandra, if I could add something important to this, uh, because we, if, we're, if, we're, if we're thinking about sort of how this Play, how this um, area is changing over over the, over the years. Um, the, the new dynamic is uh, we, we have to start to have um, the skills and exhibit those skills around social intelligence online. Right? We, we've been talking a lot about um, these skills in face to face, right? And, and, and historically, that's how the dynamic has worked in the in the workplace. Um, but but the, the the growing piece of our uh, culture and our working environment now is uh, the uh, social skills that we exhibit in, in, in the online world. And, you know, if you, if you were to give a rating to that, I think we'd all rate it probably fairly poorly today. Um, part of it is because it's moving fast. Uh, secondly, I think it's because we all don't understand it very well. Um, we don't appreciate the consequences of certain behaviors. Um, but, but as we think about, as leaders, and we think about even our own skills development, um, we, we're going to have to build social intelligence skills for the online world. Um, and, and I think let, let's not miss that point as we start to think about this topic and, and, uh, and put some focus on it in, in our organizations. Now, one final question. I'll start with you, Jim, quickly. Since we know that this is kind of fluid, the social intelligence stuff, do you think you can formalize this as part of a, a you know, career improvement plan or an individual's improvement performance plan in such a way so that we consciously put an effort into it versus just having this one-hour conversation? Well, I think that... Um... I think it has to be a conscious effort, and, and we're probably not there yet as you start to think about, you know, 360 reviews and bottom-up reviews and things like that. You start to get there, and you start to get beyond the, the technical stuff and more into the uh, more into the social skills that we've seen time and time again that are just that's, that's what leads to success. And, you know, before we uh, did this call, I was thinking about an article I was reading on uh, Fast Company. I think it was back in the July edition it was about uh the team obama had built to help uh bail out the aca effort and i was reading some quotes from people there and and i this one caught my caught my eye because i think what we're talking about here is both top down and bottom up how do you build these social skills recognize and reward these social skills and understand them and the, i i saw a quote from uh I think it's DJ Patel, who's the chief data officer. And this quote has, if you think about it, this quote has nothing to do with technology. His quote was, they say the greatest jobs are the ones you laugh in, cry in, work with the world's best, and just maybe you have a chance to change the world. And I thought about that, and I said, wow, isn't that cool? That's nothing to do with technology. That's about teams and social interaction. That's great. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think? What can we do here? 
No, I, I love that quote uh, myself too, and, and it does summarize a lot of our topic today. Uh, look, if I if I was a CIO or a CXO listening to this conversation this morning, and I wanted to sort of take uh, do something, have a takeaway to say, you know, it was worthwhile listening to these two guys talk. Um, you know, look at your training portfolio. Uh, what what does your training look like for you know FY16, the calendar year ahead, and next year? Is is all your efforts are all your efforts focused on you know, those real hard skills like, you know, elevating programming, getting certification, project management, business analysis, you know, look at that. If you don't see some soft skills in there, um, you, you don't have a complete portfolio of training for your organization and you're missing, you are missing a big opportunity. So that, that would be the big thing that I, would, that I would leave this conversation with is recognize that social intelligence um, uh, is, is our skills that are built and learned um, and, and identify what your training plan is around that for your organization. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd like, really like to thank you, uh, Jim and Jonathan, for sharing your thoughts on how to develop social intelligence in managers. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, listeners, hope you enjoyed, got some nuggets out of this. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. And do not forget to sign up to our newsletter. Please thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog Alt, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations.